you'd like to be turning in your Bibles to John, the third chapter, John chapter three, we will be there in just a moment. Again, good to see everyone. Appreciate you all being here this morning. We uh, are delighted to have so many visitors. You're certainly uh, add to our voices as we sing praises to God. We appreciate that very much and glad that you are here to be edified and to edify. Thank you so much for being here. I sometimes get asked uh, the question, how can I know God better? People want to know how they can better come to know and to understand the God that we serve. And some in the world just want to know God, period. They are lost, not understanding who their creator is and what he has done for them by sending his son to die for our sins. People want to know more about God. And these are legitimate questions. They are indeed legitimate questions. After all, Paul says in, in Romans chapter 1 and verse 20 that his attributes are invisible. So when people want to know more about God, it's a legitimate question. But he also says in that same verse something that's very interesting. He says there in Romans chapter 1 and verse 20, he says, For, the, for since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power, and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made so that they are without excuse. And so while we think about his invisible attributes, we also think about his eternal power and his divine nature. Paul says that they are clearly seen and understood by what has been made so that we are without excuse. So what is it that we can clearly see? Well, the answer is, we see Jesus. Jesus Christ has explained God the Father. Let's look at a couple of verses here. In John chapter 1 and verse 18, John says, No one has seen God at any time, the only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father. He has explained Him. The Hebrew writer says something very similar. He says, that, speaking of Jesus Christ, and he is the radiance of his glory, that is, Jesus is the radiance of God's glory, and the exact representation of his nature. So if we want to understand and know more about God, we need to know about Jesus. These two verses help us to understand that. John says, he has explained him. Jesus Christ has explained God the Father. And this is coming out of when the beginning of that, John talks about how, John, uh, how Jesus was at the beginning. He was the Word. And the Word was with God and the Word was God. He goes on to talk about how Jesus came into the world as the light, shining in the dark place, illuminating all men. And then he talks about how he has explained God the Father. And the Hebrew writer says they're about the exact representation of his nature. So if we want to know more about God, then we need to know about Jesus. And to know Jesus is to know the Father. 
So that's what I'd like to talk about this morning. How we can better know the Father by better knowing Jesus. Let's start with some unique qualifications of our Lord Jesus Christ. If you're there in John 3, let's look at some verses here. John chapter 3, beginning in verse 31 through 33, we want to talk about how he bears witness of the Father. Read with me these verses. John 3, beginning in verse 31. He who comes from above is above all, and he who is of the earth is from the earth and speaks of the earth. He who comes from heaven is above all. What he has seen and heard, of that he bears witness, and no man receives his witness. He who has received his witness has set his seal to this, that God is true. We get some unique insight into John the Baptist who's speaking here. We get some unique insight here from John the Apostle's gospel. Hope that's not too confusing. But here he says that he who comes from above is above all. And of course he is speaking of our Lord. And he says, he who is of the earth is from the earth and speaks of the earth. There John's talking about himself. John had a mission to do. He was the forerunner of the Christ. He came to blaze the trail, if you will, to lead the, the, to show the path. That was John's mission. He would lead the way of the Lord coming behind him. And he speaks to his position in all of that. That he must decrease and the Lord must increase. John knew what his role was. He speaks here of Christ bearing witness of the Father. Look at that one more time, verse 32. For what he has seen and heard of, uh, what he has seen and heard, of that he bears witness. What has our Lord seen and heard? He's seen all. We talked about how in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. Jesus Christ knows the Father. He bears witness of the Father. In Philippians 2, it tells us how he left heaven, emptied himself, and came to the earth as a form of a bondservant to serve mankind. And that ultimate service would be his sacrifice on the cross. So he bears witness of the Father. Verse 33, he who has received his witness has set his seal to this, that God is true. So there's only one that can be witness of God the Father, and that is God the Son. So Jesus Christ is uniquely qualified in this area. And he says there that he has set his seal, um, has set his seal to this that God is true. So not only does Jesus bear witness of God, but he says that what God says is true. He bears witness to that. He has that unique qualification, does our Lord. He's also been given the Holy Spirit without measure. In verse 34, it says, For he whom God has sent speaks the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. Now we think about, what does this mean, without measure? It means that God has given him everything. He's given him the Spirit without limitations. If we think about the Holy Spirit has been meted out throughout history. The Holy Spirit was given to those who, in Jesus' time, would go out by twos and be witnesses 
They would be able to do certain things. The apostles were given the power. Uh, they'd be led in all truth by the Holy Spirit. And they were given the power to perform signs and miracles. But even that was limited. It wasn't the complete outpouring of God's Spirit. And all the, the apostles could lay their hands on others and those could have certain gifts and abilities. But they couldn't then pass it on to anybody else. The Holy Spirit was given, but it was limited. God has given Jesus Christ the Holy Spirit without measure. He's given him complete ability. The complete Spirit of God has been poured upon Jesus Christ. Lastly, the Father has given him all things. Verse 35. It says, The Father loves the Son and has given him all things into his hand. You think about... Matthew 28 and verse 18, what we call the the Great Commission. Remember what Jesus says as he begins that. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. What does that leave out? Nothing. God has given him all things. All authority has been given to me in heaven heaven and on earth. God has given him the Holy Spirit without measure. So when we talk about Jesus Christ... And knowing him better, let's understand that he has some very unique qualifications, which put him so very close to understanding better God the Father. If we want to know God the Father, we can know him through Jesus Christ. And these qualifications help us to see that and to understand that. Let's talk about some similarities now. Of Jesus and, and, and the Father. There are things that we can look to, and this is just a few things, that show us how He and the Son, the God the Father and God the Son, are one. The similarities that we can look at, for instance, how they treat their children. Think about how God the Father treated His children. We looked at this passage last week in Leviticus 26 where he talks about God as he's addressing the the children of Israel. He says, I'm going to send my angel before you. Remember that? He's going to protect you. He's going to uh, guide you. What do you need to do? You need to listen to what he says. But in that passage in verse 12, God says, I will also walk among you and be your God and you shall be my people. This is the relationship that God wanted with the children of Israel. He wanted to be their, peop- their God and for them to be his people. Now they rebelled every chance they had, ultimately leading to their captivity. But this is what the will of the Father was. He wanted to be that father to them, to be in that relationship. This is how his, he felt about his children. Think about how Jesus feels about his children. In Matthew 23, in the midst of him excoriating the scribes and the Pharisees for their hypocrisies and the things that they were imposing upon men. He says in verse 37 of Matthew 23, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her, how often I wanted to gather your children together the way the hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were unwilling. Jesus wanted that close relationship too. He thinks about the, the Jerusalem, how the, they put to death the prophets, how they wouldn't be obedient to God, how they turned and rebelled against them every chance they had. 
Yet what does Jesus want? He wants to hold them under his wings like a hen gathers her chicks. That's the relationship that Jesus wanted. That loving relationship as a father and a child. There's some similarities, of course, in how they love. God the Father. We know this passage, don't we? How much did God love the world? So much so that he sent his only begotten son. He sent his only begotten son to save the world from their sins. That he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. That's love. That's an expression of love. To give your only son, who he knew would be put to death at the hands of men. How does Jesus love? Jesus says in John 10 and verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. So in this we see God the Father who sent his son to die for mankind, to die for their sins. And what does Jesus say? He says, I am the good shepherd. I lay down my life for my sheep. You see the unity there? The harmony in which this love is expressed from God the Father and God the Son to mankind. There's also the similarities in how they hate sin. God the Father. In Psalm 5, this is a psalm of David actually. Psalm 5 verses 4 and 5 says, For you are not a God who takes pleasure in wickedness. No evil dwells with you. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all who do iniquity. God hates sin. He hates those who commit sin. He has no place for sin. Sin is an abomination to God the Father. And it's the same with our Lord Jesus. In Matthew 7 and verse 23, it says, Then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Jesus had a disdain for those who practiced lawlessness as well. He says there in the midst of, of Matthew 7 about those, well, didn't we cast out demons in your name? Didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we perform any miracles in your, in your name? And he'll say to them, depart from me. I never knew you. It's you who do the will of my Father who is in heaven, who are righteous. Jesus also, in Hebrews 1, verse 9, the Hebrew writer here speaking of Jesus and, and, and saying how he is superior to the angels. And the questions are, is, to which angel has he ever said this? And this is one of the questions. To which angel has he ever said, you have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness? Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness above your companions. He's speaking of Jesus Christ. Not the angels, not any of mankind, but God's anointed one. And what does it say about him? He loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. The Father, the Son, they both hate lawlessness. They both hate sin. There's also similarities in what they want for their elect. 
We spoke about the elect this morning in our class in 1 Peter. What does it mean to be elect? It means those chosen of God. Those chosen according to his plan, which he set in motion when? Before the foundation of the world. We find out there in Ephesians chapter 1. What do they want for their elect? God the Father in 1 Timothy 2 and verse 4. God who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. This is what God wants. He doesn't want anyone to be lost. He wants all men to, to come to the knowledge of the truth. He wants all men to be saved. Jesus says in Revelation 2 and verse 10, we read this often when we think about what it means to be a faithful servant to God, to a faithful servant to Christ. In Revelation 2 and verse 10, it says, Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. Jesus expects those who are faithful to him to be faithful unto death, to live a faithful life, to be faithful in their life. That's what they want for their elect. That's what God wants for his elect. He wants all men to be saved, and Jesus wants them to remain faithful. What is the best way that we can come to know Jesus? So we've said that if we want to know God, we need to know Jesus. We've said that Jesus has some certain qualities that uniquely qualify him to be God's spokesman, to be the Word of God, to be God the Son. And we talked about how God the Father and God the Son are similar, what they want, how they treat their children. So how do we best come to know Jesus so that we can know the Father better? We do these things. We listen to what, is, what he says. We believe what he says. We repent of our sins. We confess who Jesus Christ is. We are baptized for the remission of our sins. And we go on living a faithful life to our Lord Jesus Christ. Does that look familiar? Have you ever heard a gospel preacher talk about those things? About hearing, about Romans 10, verse 17, how faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of what? But hearing by the word of whom? Hearing by the word of Christ. That's where it begins. We hear what he has said. And the things that we hear, we believe. John 8 and verse 24 says, Unless you believe that I am, you will die in your sin. How important it is to believe what you hear about Jesus Christ. It's important. Because if you don't believe that Jesus Christ and who he is, it says you will die in your sins. Repenting. Acts 17 and verse 30, God is calling for all men everywhere to repent, having overlooked the times of ignorance. Confession. Confessing who Jesus Christ is. Matthew 10 and verse 32, Anyone therefore who confesses me before men, I will confess him before my Father who is in heaven. Being baptized for the remission of your sins. Mark 16, 16 says, He who believes and is baptized, shall be saved. 
And then what about living a faithful life? Continue in faith. We read that a minute ago. Revelation 2 and verse 10. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. I'd be surprised if you've never heard that before. If you've sat in a, in a gospel sermon, that's the plan of salvation. That's how we come in contact with our Lord and with the precious blood that saves us from our sins. Starts with hearing. Goes on to believing. Knowing that you have sin in your life, that you need to change your life. And then understanding who Jesus Christ is and submitting to him in baptism and coming up out of those waters a new creature, a new creation, putting to death the old man of sin and to walk in newness of life. That's how we come to know Jesus Christ. And from then we spend the rest of our life getting to know him better, knowing more and more about him, coming together on the first day of the week to worship our God and our Father, to study and to learn more about Jesus Christ and to hear of his great sacrifice on the cross. I want to take you back to John chapter 3. We read this a minute ago as we started off looking at the qualifications of our Lord, what uniquely qualifies him. John 3, beginning verse 32, it says, What he has seen and heard, of that he testifies, and no one receives his testimony. He who has received his testimony has set his seal to this, that God is true. Jesus is uniquely qualified because he bears witness of the Father. Verse 34, For he whom God sent speaks the word of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. God has given him the Spirit without measure. He's given him all the spiritual things. Verse 35, the Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth, Jesus says there in Matthew 28 and verse 18. And then I want you to notice this in verse 36. He who believes in the Son has eternal life, but he who does not obey the Son will not see life. But the wrath of God abides on him. As we close out and understand this passage here and what these things that John the Baptist are saying, look how he ends this. He who believes in the Son has eternal life. Does that sound like he who believes and is baptized shall be saved? But the one who does not obey the Son will not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. John 8 and verse 24, unless you believe that I am, you will die in your sins. How important is it to believe in Jesus Christ? Our soul depends on it. Our salvation depends on it. Jesus Christ is uniquely qualified to tell us about God and to demonstrate God. He explains him. The Hebrew writer says that he is the exact representation of his nature. So if we want to know God, we need to know Jesus Christ. The question comes down to this. Do you know Jesus? Do you know him? Have you heard about him? What he has done? What he has said 
as recorded for us in the Gospels, in the letters in the New Testament. What he has done for his children, how he loves them so. He loves us so. Do you know him? If you don't, I encourage you to know more about our Lord. And I encourage you to follow that plan that we looked at about hearing and believing, confessing, repenting and confessing, and being baptized, washing away your sins. If you have not done that, you have opportunity while today is still called today. If as a child of God you've stumbled and you're not living as you should, I encourage you to make things right as well. Whatever your needs might be, you can let them be known by coming forward as we stand and sing to encourage you.